0: Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Muse, the brain-sensing headband that helps you build or deepen your meditation practice and keep your brain healthy, and Meditation Studio, the five-star app. I'm Patricia Carpus Today's guest is David Nickturn. David is a senior Buddhist teacher who's been practicing and teaching meditation for over 40 years. He's also a highly regarded, award-winning composer, producer, and guitarist, as well as the founder of two record companies. David's recorded and played with people like Stevie Wonder, Jerry Garcia, Paul Simon, and many others. And to round out his background, he's also a business consultant and author of the book, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, which is what we discussed today. David's grasp of spirituality, mindfulness, music, and entrepreneurship make him a unique animal, so to speak the underlying principle of this book is that it's possible to move toward balance, prosperity, happiness, and basic sanity in our lives as human beings. The core of the operating system that will get us there is recognizing how our minds work and how the world works to deepen our understanding of ourselves and the world in which we live. He shares useful advice and tools for integrating all of these things. Now, on to David. David, it's wonderful to have you on Untangle today. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. And I'd like to get Untangled too. Can we all do it together?
0: Yeah, one, two, three. We're Untangled. As I was researching you and your background, I became incredibly interested in your really interesting blend of your musician and an Emmy Award winning, and I think many other awards as well musician and you're a buddhist so i love to talk about that but i want to start with you started playing the guitar at age eight what inspired your love and passion for music
1: oh that's such a sweet question in a way because when you're eight your parents go you want piano lessons and guitar lessons and my sister already had the piano lesson she was older my uncle is a musician my mother's brother My mother was a Broadway theater producer. She actually was the first woman to win a Tony on Broadway. That side of my family was very professionally creative. And my dad was a pediatrician and then a child psychiatrist. So I had those two strands going. But the guitar lessons were Ida Applebaum lived up on the eighth floor of my building, and I would just go up there and with my little guitar and learn a few songs. And it just became an important limb for me. It's funny, when you think of limbs, I have two arms and a guitar, (laughs) so it feels like...
0: One of the things that I saw, Suzanne Chiani is one of my favorite musicians. I love her song, The Velocity of Love. You know that song? It's the most beautiful song. So beautiful. It's inspired me so much. But you worked with her.
1: Yeah, I worked with Suzanne a lot. And we were great friends. She's one of the best people. Super talented. So what happened was we got hired to do the music for a very prominent ABC soap opera back in the day when they had those. Called One Life to Live.
0: I remember. <laughs>
1: and she and I co wrote the music for a couple of years. And then she went on doing other things. And I continued on as the producer of the music for that show. So it's funny, you know, it said your audience is 70% women when we talked. Yes. They used to say at the soaps, our audience is 90% women and we don't care about the other 10%. <laughs> That's what the producer would say. And Suzanne was a very sensual and very graceful composer. So we counterpointed. We were a very, very good team, actually. And I'm thrilled to hear you say that.
0: I love the way you just described her as graceful. And she does have this beautiful, gentle quality. That song, The Velocity of Love, I can listen to it over and over and over again. So beautiful.
1: And you know what else, Patricia? She also had a commercial music production company, very prominent in New York. I used to write commercials for her, for like Pepsi and stuff like that. And she was also a very strong and capable business person. She was a very unique blend in that way.
0: That gets into your book. But first, I want to talk about how you went from playing the guitar at age eight to being this professional musician, earning so many awards and doing so much work with television and other theatrical and commercial productions.
1: It's funny. And I'm sure when people ask you about your past and you go, hey, what did happen? How did I get here? And when you write a book like that, of course, My book, which is called Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, is part autobiographical. It wasn't really intended as that, but you're telling your story, how you got there. So how I got where you're talking about was I always loved music. And then I was a folky, a New York folky when I was a teenager. And I loved folk music and bluegrass. And it was a special little subculture. And then I went to college when I was 16. Back in those days, you could skip grades. So I was pretty young. I had no clue what I would do. My father was a doctor, so I signed up for pre-medical with an English minor. About three quarters of the way through that, I thought, no, I'm not really cut out for this. I don't really want to do this. And Then I finished with an English major. And You know what that gives you when you graduate from college? Do you know what bupkis means, Patricia? I do. I had no other way to make a living other than just playing. I played in some Broadway shows. I used to play down in the village with various well-known artists and A lot of the time I was a a accompanist as a guitarist and music director. And then I also did my own songs. And then I had this amazing outcome, which was in the village. I bumped into this singer named Maria Muldar, and I started being her producer and music director. And then I wrote a song called Midnight at the Oasis, which we recorded on one of her first albums. And that was like a huge hit. And it was like a big, I was 27 or something like that.
0: That's a big deal.
1: It was a very big deal. It was cool.
0: Come Midnight at the Oasis, for those that can't.
1: Midnight at the Oasis, send your camel to bed. Got shadows paint in our faces, traces of romance in our heads. I own the publishing, so you can use it.
0: Okay, thank you. And do you love writing lyrics as much as you love writing music?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. In the generation before me, people did not write both music and lyrics. The songwriters were like, one was a lyricist, one was a, but my generation was singer-songwriters. That was the deal. And some of the greatest artists, Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and Paul Simon, people like that. So in that perspective, the lyrics and the music are conjoined and integrated. So you do write both. But if you had to ask me, what could I do all day long? It would be composed music. I wouldn't think of it as work.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful.
1: It'd be like rolling down a hill or something.
0: Oh, that's amazing to have that in your life. I think about that when I see conductors sometimes. I just think they seem so joyful and full of life and energy. And
1: Music is bliss. Music is the part of our lives where you're actually supposed to experience joy and bliss and sadness, all the emotions in a kind of untangled way.
0: Yeah. Many of us have the ability to listen to music and that gives us a certain sense of joy, but actually making it. Is a whole other thing, I'm sure, because that gets into the whole notion of our creativity.
1: Oh, yeah. And self-assessment and all that goes with that. But if you can untangle, I love your title of your show because it actually it has deep meaning in the Buddhist sense, which we can get into a little bit later. But untangling is really the process of liberation. When you figure out finally what meditation is all about, there is a sense of untangling knotted energetics in your body and emotional body. So the music is, for me, thank goodness, something that is organic. And I dream music. I've had whole entire songs that I just wake up and write them down. So it's something that's happening within me and without me.
0: That's amazing. What brought you then to Buddhism and mindfulness practice? And how has that part influenced your life? These two prongs for me are so interesting, music and Buddhism.
1: And there are a few people like me. I say I have two full-time jobs, which makes sometimes an 80 or 90 hour a week, but I've been a professional musician since the early 70s, and I've been a Buddhist since the early 70s. And at that time, Buddhism was just peeking into the American culture in the form of several Asian teachers who just came over and started to teach. One of those was my teacher named Trungpa Rinpoche, and I was at Berkeley College of Music, 19... 19- 70 and he came to my local yoga studio and gave a lecture called work sex and money and he came in a business suit it blew me away i thought he was gonna be some kind of monk and spiritual thing and he was just extremely grounded and i have to do a little homage creativity spirituality and making the buck is really a tribute and continuity of the perspective that he held which was that real life everyday life and spiritual practice should be in alignment and they should be really not like one's over here and the other's all the way over there
0: it's easier said than done. So that started your journey with Buddhism and mindfulness. And so how has that influenced your life?
1: I love thinking about this time and there's some pictures of it. So I was, as I said, shortly after I started studying with Rinpoche, I also had this, I moved to California, had this pretty notable hit song. And then I moved to Northern California to start a bluegrass band with David Grisman And the banjo player was Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. So I was going back and forth between playing with that band and studying with Trunker Rinpoche. And they were both, at the time, for me, wildly creative energetics, and they seemed to have something to do with each other. We were all trying to find something in those days that was outside of the framework of what maybe we had been brought up with.
0: But what led you to be that seeker? What were you all trying to find? What do you think?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Untangled. I really do.
0: Were you an anxious kid? Did you deal with depression? Were you struggling with your own identity? What led you to be that seeker?
1: That's so funny. Rinpoche used to say first thought, best thought. That's something I use with my students these days to liberate the more intuitive process, first thought, best thought. And the first thought I had was curiosity. I was curious. And what I was curious about was, see, I was raised... My friend Krishnodar says I was raised Jewish on my parents' side, and other people have said that too. But I wasn't raised very Jewish. I was raised culturally Jewish, but they asked me when I was 13, do you want to have a bar mitzvah? And I said, I'm not really into it. And my parents were totally cool with that. So I didn't really have any formal training in Judaism or anything else for that matter. But I was very curious about the larger space in which the smaller story is going on and then of course the drugs came along and everybody was like and now they're back
0: yes
1: (laughs) are you talking patricia to people aren't psychedelics these days of course it's everywhere
0: it's everywhere
1: yeah back then let's say it wasn't necessarily medically approved or anything like that but it was part of the culture and so i think me and others were looking for freedom yeah that's what i think we're looking for freedom
0: that makes a lot of sense so now you're a Buddhist and a musician, and then your book, the third part of it is making a buck. So how do you think about being an entrepreneur because you are an entrepreneur? And what does the Dharma teacher, what do you teach about how we can make money and do what we love at the same time?
1: That's another thing that I would have to say about myself. I love yin yang paradox kind of things that go together but seem different masculine feminine whatever you want to left right up down unlike the spiritual approach of it's all one and mushing it all together i love the duality and so synchronizing duality is our job here on earth we've got our mother our father we've got republicans and democrats we've got all kinds of splits and we have to work with that we can't just mush it all together like oh it's just all one thing So at the same time, it is all one thing, and it's all interconnected or interdependent, as we'd say it. So I think what for me was the appeal was, as soon as you say potato, I'm going to say potato, and then you go, how do you bring that together? So the thing I noticed is that spiritual people were not paying attention to the material world in my time. They were spacing out, basically, and then having nonprofits that were poorly run, not to criticize everybody, but in general, nobody was saying this is important, this aspect of life. It's you want to escape. And even Buddhism can easily be interpreted that way, easily. Buddha was a renunciate, but there have been many great Buddhist masters who have been householders and business owners and accomplished in worldly things. So I just feel like if you're going to say you're a spiritual person, it should be demonstrable. Your accomplishment should be demonstrable in how you conduct your life. It's as simple as that.
0: And then how does that translate to making a buck?
1: That's tongue in cheek, the making a buck. It would translate in terms of Buddhism as right livelihood. That sounded too square for somebody like me. I didn't want to say right livelihood. That's too square. But it's one of the eightfold paths. So Buddha definitely talked about you should have a healthy relationship to your livelihood. So I'm trying to make a company. I have a company called dharmamoon.com. It's not a nonprofit. But it's also not like we're not going for how do we make $2 billion and create a mechanical rush for some ill-conceived sense of well-being that you're peddling. How can you do something genuine and also pay people well, make a reasonable living, but separate from that gouging mentality of you have to cripple the world in order to exploit it, suck the juice out of it, and then think you've succeeded at something.
0: This material in an excerpt
1: from a longer podcast or video. Follow link in description to learn more.